Hey there, welcome to the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline. I am the founder of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives to see what makes them tick and see how they got where they are today. So sit back, relax. I look forward to sharing their journey with you. All right, folks. So we're going to jump right into it. Oh, we got Unreal on. So we may have a couple of issues with the screen because Unreal eats up bandwidth like mad. But anyways, welcome. Today is really, for me, it's a really incredibly important conversation. And uh, for my students, I think that this is a very important conversation for us to have. And this is my first time meeting Simon. So, uh, you know, this is going to be really a great moment for us to get to meet and then to talk about what I see as not necessarily the next movement in this industry. It's really just this has been going on for a while and this is the underlining thread. That's what I really want to be talking about today. So Simon, man, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me. So why don't you tell us first what you do so people have some context for all this stuff that we're going to talk about because there's a lot of great things to talk about, but you know, some of it might be scary and some of it might be exciting. So why don't you tell us what you do so people can understand that first. So right now I work at an indie studio called Exxon. It's in Belgium. And I'm mainly doing like environment art and also some, yeah, some little Houdini things here and there. Yeah, and I'm also in my free time exploring more about Houdini and proceduralism because I'm quite interested. Yeah, what, what, uh, what interests you in that? Because that's actually the topic I want to get in with you is this whole notion of proceduralism. Hugo Bayer's been talking, a lot of people have been talking a lot about this, but like, what interests you about proceduralism? What sort of like got me into it was this video where it was like showing like how you can do things faster. Like we had this uh, on school, a course where you have to like build a sci-fi scene and you place everything manual. But then I saw a video of Houdini where they just generate a scene, a sci-fi scene. And I was like, wow, you, you don't have to place manually your assets anymore. You can just generate them. And right. when I looked more into it, it was like, this is just awesome to just, don't have the struggle of manually building the scene, but like having a tool that helps you laying out the basics of your scene. Whose tutorial do you remember whose that was or, or video you were looking at? It was a GDC video of mm. Houdini 2017. I can okay. quickly search for it if you want to. Yeah, let's pull that up for people who are watching this live uh-huh. so they get some context because there's like several procedural talks. I think that's been Houdini's kind of entry into this, which is get that kind of st- yes yeah see this got me excited too this and uh i think it was anastasia's uh, the lake house the, the lake, lake house. House. Yeah, and that that's two awesome. years ago this is also like yeah 2017 but like i can definitely like one recommend if you want to learn something which you need to have a nice introduction into like how i can make procedural pipe okay like this just start from scratch in the video and then later on at the end you have like this sci-fi level being generated i don't know exactly where it is yeah yeah somewhere here where you just draw a curve in unreal and the layout is just automatically being made for you and that was something the first thing that i was like seeing that got me really excited for houdini because you you can see like everything is just changing by changing the value and the layout and models are being randomly placed Mm mm-hmm 
That's exactly what I wanted to get into a bit. But before we do that, let's set the stage so people understand kind of a little bit about what we're talking about. Because I think especially 3D artists are always hearing about the next thing. And from my perspective, because I've been in the industry about 15 years now, um, Houdini has been that perpetual next thing you know it's like everybody's like oh houdini it's the next thing and i'm like dude i heard that when we were on octanes you know when the computers cost a hundred thousand dollars so uh this might be the next thing but it is a long long ass time coming so let's talk a little bit about the underlining pressures here like number one we're talking about proceduralism and proceduralism is how, how would you define that Personally, I would say it's some sort of like a tool or a system that is like reusable and can be easily, by changing values, you change your output. And yeah, it's just like some, for me, it's mainly like something that's reusable, like the house generator, like, or something else generator, and you can just use it from one project to another project. And you can even update the system later on, just something that, yeah, not, not more manually, I would say, something that a system does something for you. And what's the problem with manual? Because that's where I think the rubber hits the road here. Because let's say I'm an environment artist. I've been in this industry 10 years. I hear people talking about Houdini and they're like going to cut. In fact, you know what? I had a conversation with the CEO of a game company just the other day on this. And I was telling him about the lake house tutorial on Houdini and how I'm, I'm training my students on this. And his first thing was, is does it create interiors? You know? And I'm like, oh, I didn't, I don't know if the lake house actually has interiors, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was like, well, you know, then there was the Promethean AI and I'm like, I'm sure it does interiors. You just have to build the system for it. But what is the pressure that makes us even consider procedural as opposed to manual? And the ultimate kind of the conflict that I see here that I think has to be addressed for us to really embrace proceduralism is where's the art? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see kind of what you mean. Because um, you know, if if I'm an environment artist, I've been doing this ten years. I'm like, you know, I have there's craft to what I do, and now you're telling me that Houdini's just going to make it for me, or you know, what's going <laughs> on with that? It also depends on sort of like how the tool is made. So, like first of all, like if you want to do a big open world game like Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, yeah. Uh, Chances are high they are using procedural generation. But for example, the tree itself can still be manually made by someone. Mm-hmm. And then the tool like plays it for you. So you can also like take this to houses, like you can make the houses and the tool plays it for you. Yes. You can also see see that way, like you still have the control of like I really make a prop, I really make my tree or a car, but you can easily then, if you if you take this to larger scale like open world games, the placement can then be uh, like open world a procedural. But you also like have, of course, control and like afterwards maybe some procedural situations didn't work out well, and I can maybe then manually delete the card that was super weirdly placed, right? Or I can just move it around. Like there is still some control if you add it yourself, of course. Okay, I got it. So is it fair to say that there's an economic incentive here to some extent, as in games are going open world? Mm. What do you think is the reason that we're doing this? You know, like what's the pressure you're seeing from studios? Why are they adopting this? Because they have to change pipelines too, right? That stuff costs money. Yeah, yeah. I think we are in the change maybe now to this more procedural pipeline. Mm -hmm. But in the end, you're making a pipeline that's 
I would say, quite flexible and yeah. could, could be reused for the next project. All right. Like, cool. you, like you can see that with the, for example, designer materials, where they make like procedural uh -huh. materials like bricks, and then they can easily change the amount of bricks and so on, and then they can reuse it for the whole project or the next project. Right. That makes sense. You know, and along the lines of what you said, the, the notion of proceduralism, which kind of ties into the question of AI, and and there's some fear around that, which I, I think is reasonable because, you know, how much of it's being left for the artist. But I think what you mentioned about it's how the tool is built is important. And I have an example that I'd love your comments on too. When I worked at uh, Pixelogic, I helped in the development of it and all that stuff. And one of the things that was core, it was like, it was one of our, and I didn't fully understand it at the time, but it was one of our core principles was that it had to be, there had to be a manual element to it. Like there were basically two ways to create humans back then, two main ways. You use DAS, it creates humans and it's all done for you. Or you use ZBrush and you have to literally create your human from, you know, from a ball of clay. And ZBrush is by far and wide the like that's the darling, that's the baby, that's the one that's really cool. Because you when you get in and you start making it, you feel it, you you make decisions, even though it's doing a lot of work for you. It's not like Daz, where it's like girl, big breast, small waist, boom, boom, move some sliders around, and you've got like your next character, right? there's an element where we're creating it. So in this Houdini stuff and the stuff that you're seeing, there's still an element in which somebody is making decisions. Definitely. There is always someone who has to decide if what's being generated, if it's good enough. Mm. So what are these skill sets that you think are important for people to come into Houdini with? Because somebody may come in and be like, oh, that's cool. I'll just make something, throw some sliders around. But I mean, I've seen enough of these things and enough of these things done by people that are just programmers to know that, you know, there's more to it. You know, you can't just throw a programmer in it and be like, hey, make me a cool city. They'll make you a crappy city. Yeah. But it's also like Houdini has, in my opinion, like multiple features. It's like a software where you can do a lot. So like you have like the procedural aspect and generation of models, but you also have like particles. So for yeah. programmers, they are going more to the like something more programmer procedural generation and making something faster but it's also i think approachable by artists but you definitely need like base understanding of how we can make a prop what is a normal map and so on just like these basic things yeah and then you definitely need some more technical requirements i would say mm -hmm. like if you know how to do some coding like python for example or, or something else you can definitely benefit from it but if you want to do some like more basic procedural generation or something that's rather small and can be simply done by just not coding, that's also possible. Yeah. But so sometimes it's just, you can see it more as like, I can build a node, I can build a system with no code in it, but the person who knows more about coding can build the same system with like five nodes. Meanwhile, I needed like 50 nodes, for example. Right. Yeah, I get that. You know, it's almost like the builder inside of Houdini is code. It's like Visual Basic. You're just moving snippets of code around. And people that are more advanced, you know, number one, know the better function. And then number two, know how to expose or get in there and use certain aspects of it to kind of piggyback and create more robust code snippets almost. Does that jive with what you're saying? Yeah. Cool. 
So what's the first thing you built in Houdini? Yeah, there was this level building tools within real. This was like um, still one of them was in school. Like you can choose a project in the last year. So I can show the quick video of it. So yeah, this was basically inspired on the video I showed you at the beginning. Yeah. Where you can like draw a line and then all the models around it are just placed for you. And this is real time in, in game engine. So it's pretty fast in calculation there. Wow. So yeah, then this pipe tool to just like draw a line pipe. So th this is also like very familiar to what was shown in the GGC talk. But I added some more features in there. Like you saw like multiple rings popping up or you can just yeah. have like this, your classic pipe. Okay. So you can make build variation. Okay. All right. And I think, because I didn't see anything in the live chat. Okay, good. I finally got a note. <laughs> I, I know I got some environment artists in there and Sari is going, this is black magic, people. <laughs> <laughs> so if we can go back to that section where you just drew a line and then built a hallway. Sure. I think everybody, all my students need to see that because that's seriously black magic. But magic is just sufficiently developed technology that it appears to be magic <laughs> to those of us, right? That's the notion. And I think that's one of the things that's really important about 3D art is, you know, 3D art is evolving so fast. There's so many tools, there's so many changes that sometimes, man, you could be an awesome, very highly skilled artist, but you know, you go out of this two years, it's like people are just freaking magicians when you come back into it. Like PBR wiped out a few people I know, just took them right out of the industry. They're just like, I just don't get this. I'm done. I'm afraid this is going to do that for environment artists. Do you agree or, or no? Mm, right now, I see it more as a tool, something that's helping you to do something faster mm -hmm. instead of like replacing you. I, right now, I don't believe that at this point. I think it's more, yeah, helping you out. Well, but did you see the Netflix I Am Mother? Um, no. All right. We, everybody's got to watch that now after this. <laughs> it's artificial intelligence, and uh, I'll just have to leave it at that. But it hits on Elon Musk's question, which is, you know, what if you have an artificial intelligence spam bot and it decides it's AI, its job is to, to solve the problem of spam. And it decides that in order to solve the problem of spam, I'm just going to wipe out humans. <laughs> and there we go. So, you know, the point being, yeah. something can be there to help us, but we have to be mindful. You know, where is all of that help going? Um, no. And along those lines, Ryan's got a question. He's asking, how does Houdini help character artists? Because for me, I'm focused on it as an incredibly powerful tool. I know I was just threw in some dark apocalyptic stuff, but for me, it's incredibly <laughs> powerful for environment artists. And I think for environment artists, it's going to be an important skill to have. But how does it fit for a character artist? Yeah, I definitely agree with like, it's more environment, like world building focused. Mm -hmm. But at the studio, we use Houdini and we, of course, have a character artist. So he's doing like all the retopping there in Houdini, which seems pretty nice, but I don't have enough experience to give my perspective on it. But it's, the retopping yeah. seems pretty nice. Or you can also like have a pole reducing and still keep your quad topology, for example. That could also something that could be interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Actually, Marcin Kalicki at a CD Project Red mentioned 
that that's what they're doing now too. They actually do UVs and topology in Houdini, which is great because those are the two things that we would certainly want to never have to do ourselves again. (laughs) Yeah. So how has Houdini helped you in terms of your career? Because I think that's a really important thing for us to talk about too, is like, I believe it's going to be something that will absolutely like, it makes somebody a job candidate, but specifically, has it helped you with your job and your career? For my career, definitely helped quite a lot. Like I keep pushing so Houdini projects and Houdini blog, and I definitely I get people's attention because I'm doing something with Houdini and I'm sharing it. And I notice that a lot of people are interested in, in Houdini, but mm-hmm. they don't touch it yet themselves. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we are at the beginning of this Houdini breakthrough kind of. Um, mm-hmm. So it's nice to be sort of at the beginning where totally. I would say with, with sometimes simple tools, people could be excited for that. Yes. Where, in, where in like the future, if I would make a simple tool, no one would care because there are already way better tools or awesomer tools out there. Yes, that's a great point. Because I, I always tell my students, everything that I have in terms of the power of working from home and teaching and all that all comes from me being at Pixelogic at the right time. And being there when ZBrush was brand new and coming out and I could just like sculpt a crappy face and people were like, oh my God, teach me how to do that. <laughs> so, you know, and, um, and I'm saying that as a, you know, facetiously, it's like, we always think our faces are crappy, but I mean, you didn't, now, if you want to go out and you want to teach, you want to share, it's like, people are like, Hey, I've seen that already. There's like 10, 15, 20, there's a hundred awesome ZBrush artists. It's not that exciting anymore. Right. Yeah. You're definitely right. Yeah. But now this is the moment. And so along those lines, cause I was uh, two years ago, I was telling people, you know, get into substance, get into substance. Cause I'd kind of missed the boat. I think substance designer is five years ago. If you got into it five years ago, same thing. You basically show somebody how to make rocks on a ground. It's like, you're a winner. Now it's like, well, we got 20 plus tutorials on that. So, so there we go. How does Houdini fit into substance though? And into the suite? Cause I saw you're working with them too. You mean the, the rebel at last year? Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. I watched that. I was like, that's pretty cool. Is that something somebody might use some elements of ZBrush for, but it's pretty. Yeah. Nice. So, so basically it's like, simulating debris fall on each other mm-hmm. uh, so it's also inspired on the bell ben wilson video maybe mm-hmm. some of you have seen it so for that i also built like a debris generator pieces so i don't have to like sculpt them or anything i just have something that does automatically this for me and then i let it fall on each other basically that's like the the quick run through of it mm-hmm of course, then I bake the result in height map and so on. Right. Yeah, I get that. Definitely, guys, check this out because I think this would be, if you head over to Simon's art station, it'll be really cool. But I think there's a couple of things that I want to hit on here is number one, what do you think kind of stops people from Houdini? And then if you don't mind, I would love to just kind of get a little bit of an explainer. I don't know. You have Houdini up there. Just a little bit of explainer also for people so they know what to think. I mean, not getting into dynamics because I think you use rigid bodies for this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we start with, you know, what stops people from getting into Houdini from your perspective? Hmm. Because um, I was this, I was the same. I was kind of, you know, I not to put too fine a point on it. I was scared. I thought it was like programming, 
But I literally, within 10 minutes of being into it, I'm like, I'm home. I understand this program. <laughs> you know, I got a lot to learn, but I mean, I, I got it right away. Definitely like varies a little bit on personal person. But I think the general thing that people have is like either they think it's like super technical and you need like programming skills mm -hmm. or they just don't find these tutorials or they don't search for the cool tutorials that they are looking for. Because there, there are like a lot of tutorials out there, but maybe you're looking for something more specific that you mm -hmm. don't immediately find. And then you're like, oh yeah, maybe I should like just like something nice to like trigger people to like, oh yeah, this is super cool. I need to learn with you. Like the same, it's actually the same I had with like the GDC video, like the automatic sci-fi level. It's like that right. video was like, damn, that's super cool. I want Houdini now. And maybe some people also need to see some videos like that. And they'd be like, damn, I also want to do something like that. Yeah, that makes sense, in fact. And it's a big part of companies like that to find that demo project that changes mm -hmm. people's minds, you know, so that they, they get it. I so, think soon, maybe yeah. we will have, like right now, a lot of studios are like starting to work with Houdini and then maybe one or two years, we will have this super cool A game being like 70% procedurally generated. And I do GDC talk about it. That would definitely like help people seeing what it can do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that would be excited to see. Yeah, that might be the second round, but by then you're pretty vetted. You know, and I think that's the incredibly cool part about this is you're at the front of, of what I don't see this not happening. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but I don't see this proceduralism. I don't see the power. Everything I've seen with Houdini, this is the next incredibly important skill set to have. Is there anything that would basically call me, turn me into a liar here? Am I, am I missing anything? Is there any reason that Houdini would just kind of like be kind of cool and then peter out? Mm, if you would go for like technical art position, I think Houdini has been very interesting. But for like, we still gonna like, for example, need like material artist or like prop artist or environment yeah. artist. These are still important. So I don't think everyone needs to have Houdini under under their skill set. Mm -hmm. But for like some people, it could be like make their profile interesting more if they like learn Houdini and they enjoy it, of course, because that's also important. Yeah. Matteo, does that answer your question? Because you were asking about how much people need to shift from either traditional or just upgrading or mix. So mix is, is what I heard from Simon. Okay, cool. Yeah, it depends on what you personally like want or looking for. I would say definitely try it out, of course, and then see if it's something you, you like doing. Yeah. And for me, I always like, and I think it's always important, you know, you have to put those like triggers out there, those trigger words, those trigger skill sets that people are mm -hmm. like, you know, you got your core skill set, you're hireable, but then there's this thing that's like, yeah, let's bring them in because they have X. And X isn't, hey, I know how to use Photoshop. <laughs> it's about 20 years too late for that. I mean, I, I remember actually when I was going to art school, if you knew Photoshop, you had a job in the game industry. Like 20 years ago, one of my friends barely drew but he knew the computer and, you know, that was it. He had a job. They were hiring like, like mad. Now, obviously, that's not the case. Now it's something else. So ZBrush is yeah. important, Houdini, all of that. So, all right, let, let's talk a little bit about Houdini versus Substance. If we're going to, in fact, let me stop here for one sec. Guys, for those of you who are here live, it's really important to me that you're connecting with this notion of proceduralism. So 
just give me a quick yes, no, or, or is it making sense to you, this notion of proceduralism and what we're talking about or not? Because the next question I've got goes into Houdini versus substance designer so that we understand the 3D versus the 2D. But I want to make sure that you guys are all understanding just this core concept of proceduralism and the economic incentive that might be there, as Sari says, helping people kind of prototype games and things like that, probably at a significantly reduced cost, you know, because it takes environment artists time to, to make things awesome. Okay, everybody's got it. All right. So then the next question that I think is important for me to understand along proceduralism is there's Houdini, right? It's cool. I'm, I'm into it. I'm jazzed about this kind of stuff now. How does this connect with the procedural trend already happening in materials with substance painter, substance designer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with this debris example, it's already like uh, doing, if you would do this in Scratch from designer, this is a pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you work a lot with designer, then you know layering shapes on each other is just a pain because you will always like get intersections with like one brick to another or one piece in another mm-hmm. where you look realistic. And this is just one situation where there's just like debris being simulated. You're kind of like, do more like you can simulate cloth in Houdini, and then you can like get the cloth information and so on and so on. Like if people get creative with this, they probably can like achieve more crazy results and so on. If they get in with substance or if they uh, merge these two. If yeah, if they merge these two. Like also like Houdini can, for example, like clean up the results because this is like driven by a height map and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's like pure tessellation, which is of course not really like game friendly because it requires millions of polys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Houdini can sort of like create a low poly for you automatically if you build a small system for it. So you don't have to uh, sort of like retop or do some special trick. Houdini can be like, oh yeah, this is your height map. I will create a low poly for you so we can get these shapes without having heavy tessellation. Hmm. And you can tessellate inside of Houdini, right? You can take a height map then. Yeah. But in Houdini, it works. You can like write a little code, which is basically saying like, oh yeah, if the point is white, I go up. And if the point is, is just black value, then mm-hmm. I just stay down, which is right. basically how height maps work kind of. Yeah. And then from that height map that's generated, then go through and reduce polygon. Do you have to do a VDB or something like that in between? or? It depends. I have not like fully researched how you can do this super cleanly. Uh-huh. But I, I did once a test and I did some like, so I just like project the height map on there. Then I yeah. maybe do some little smoothing. Uh, then I would like apply already like poly reducing and yeah. see, see if that's good enough in game and if it's good enough then it's fine and if it's not good enough then i would like just like experiment around with like different types of nodes and structures like maybe even vdb if that could potentially be helpful Mm -hmm. yeah it's just like experimenting until you have something you find that's nice and working and then you can just save the system and reuse it every time got it now if we go back to your um you have a city generator i think right building generator The um, the house generator, even the level builder. So I understand the the geometry creation. I get that. How is this connected with the textures and materials, though? That's a fuzzy part for me. So for the house generator, like here, the the materials itself. So basically, these houses are 
actually made out of modular models that I modeled myself in Houdini. Mm -hmm. So Houdini, the tool works that it's like placing your model for you. That's how I originally built the tool. If you okay. would, for example, take the lake house from Anastasia, she is like just doing everything procedurally in Houdini. I'm using mm -hmm. like your classic modular kit of like a window, wall, door, and so on. Right. And I'm placing them procedural. Okay. And it's just like... Uh, yeah, keep going. Okay, here, here are just some... So, yeah, here's like my my window, for example. Oh, it's on my other screen. Damn it. <laughs> So yeah, so you can see it's like tiling brick made in substance and the, the other material ID is basically the windows that I quickly did in substance. Okay. I like got I, so yeah. I kind of rushed rushed these models through because that was not the focus for the project. So I like rushed quickly through them. Okay. So this is using a model kit. And the model kit has the geometry and the textures assigned within Unreal. And then since it's just yes. placing it, you know, it's just that is pretty straightforward. So also like keep control of the artist has still control on how it looks. If, if mm -hmm. they give a stylized wall, it would have a stylized feel. Right. And does that mean that this entire side of this building has really one texture if you needed to change the brick to be a little bit redder? Yeah, I just use... So that's the reason why I'm using like a second material ID. Mm -hmm. So if I would like go to the this brick here, I made some parameters. I cannot exactly remember what it was because it was been some while ago. Mm -hmm. But I can just make them darker, and then everything is just so... dark because they're all using the same same material. Right. Beautiful. So if you need a fuchsia downtown a little mm -hmm. bit of pink so yeah, some just like a few settings here and there okay got it that's beautiful and it's really terribly exciting so do you mind walking me like from a beginner perspective we're inside houdini how does somebody get started and not get overwhelmed yeah well first of all i would like recommend like watching some basic video on just like how the, the UI works and so on. So mm -hmm. you know where everything is. Like in here, you have like the the nodes network network where you can like place your nodes down, and then you have your parameters and then the viewport. So as soon as you like know a little bit how to control a model and like extrude something or bevel something, then it's like you have a basic. And then from there, I would start defining on what do you want to do with Houdini. Mm -hmm. Because you can also, like, you can do the simulation, you can do procedural houses, you can do anything you want. But it's like define on what you want to do and then search in that direction. Got it. You know, I think the tutorial that really opened up my eyes was by Rohan Dalvi. And it was a table, just a simple table demo. I thought it was really cool. He modeled it the old school way and he modeled it the procedural way. I think I've seen that one. Yeah, that was pretty neat. All right, so we're in the nodes. We have a box. What? Keep going. Talk to me here because um, <laughs> I think people here, like it gets a little confusing. What do you do with the box? What do you do with the box? So yeah. if you want to model something, I can recommend you putting it here into a model 
And then it's just like any other software, other software where I sort of like would select um, the edges. Oh, and I, okay. I hold C, I have like this menu, yeah. which is, can be, it's like used in Maya, for example. So you have also like menus and I can just like click on bevel and I have a bevel. So that's like basic modeling that I would do like every day at work. It's like modeling like basic shapes and so on. Like I can move this. So mm-hmm. as you can see, it's like quite viewport interactive. So some people might think that it's, oh yeah, it's a node-based system. So I have to do a lot of things with the nodes. It's like, no, I can just select a face and then extrude it. And then there is a handle here. And if I scroll, I can just decide how much the the inset is going here. But I can also, of course, go in here, do everything manual, how much I want to to do my values. And of mm-hmm. course, there are also each node will have some nice settings. Like in here, I can actually save out the front group. So this is the front group right now. Mm-hmm. And I can, for example, save this information into a group. And this group can be used later on. And this is then a more procedural way of working where I can use this group information to like to another procedural step. And it just creates notes. That's actually really cool and just already feels much better than quadra in maya that's one of the things that's been kind of interesting to me is seeing how how uh rampant and rampant's the wrong word that puts a negative connotation uh how um how much of an influence maya and max have and i'm not trying to like flame war anything but you know these are huge software companies by a huge or huge pieces of software done by a huge software company monopoly did i did i say that and um <laughs> and houdini's this like this little tiny slash not little amazing program that does all of these cool things and i'm sitting here going like why don't we know this yeah that's as soon as i kind of find out about it and i kind of fully switch to it like and like the only software I mainly worked was 3ds Max because we learned it in school, mm-hmm. so we kind of were forced to use 3ds Max. But as soon as I like discovered Houdini, I was like, "Hey, I could just do this easily in Max than in Houdini, or even better." Because in school we had like kind of sometimes a joke when like Mesh 3ds Max was crashing quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so with Houdini, it felt like more stable and like. Slowly on, for a few months, I have been been slowly transitioning into a workflow where I don't need another software to model something. I can just model it in here, or I can mm-hmm. wrap it in here and so on. Is this as robust as mod? I mean, I you know I know when people are modeling, like let's say they're Blender or they're 3D stu- mm-hmm. modelers, people who do this for a living. I mean, it's like hotkeys, it's muscle memory, and they have to produce fast. So I'm, I don't mean I'm not talking about those modelers and what they have to do because you know what they have to do relates to them making a living and you know that's the important thing not some software outside of that is this a complete tool set for us you know to for people who are at the beginning like do i need to dive in and deal with quadron modeling in Maya, or or is houdini just as robust you know for the most part in my opinion 
yeah. it's good enough for me. But for mm-hmm. some people, it might be like they can maybe missing features that they have in in Blender or another software that they really liked and they don't right. have in Rhythm. That could be like for some people can be maybe a deal breaker. Uh, but for me, it's sort of like I don't make that much complex like geometry right. uh, or, or shapes. So for me, it's like it's good enough. Okay, I got it. That's perfect. That's what I needed to know um, because I know people that modelers because of the that's what they do all the time. I know they have you know real specific needs. But if I'm talking to a student right now and I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, you need to learn Max, you need to get into all of that stuff, but is it fair to advise them to also start to explore these tool sets for modeling things like in a prop class, you know, is mm-hmm. it going to give me the basics to make that happen? Like it could be interesting to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it also depends a bit on what you want, exactly, exactly what you want to do with it. Like you're not going to sculpt in Houdini because it's no way possible. Yeah, um, but it can be interesting to explore and have some learn a few basics uh, because for some people it really requires a different approach on how to work with it. Like I also had this transition where I had to sometimes rethink on how do I make this model uh, because it's like it's yeah it's node based. Like sometimes you need to work in this node network and do something here instead of doing everything in the viewport because you cannot do everything in the viewport. You can do some basic modeling, but for something more complex, you you will need to understand some of the basics of Houdini, which requires sometimes a bit more technical mm-hmm. uh, skills. Okay. And then can I trouble you for one more look and just tell me if, the, if I'm reaching too much because it might be too complex what I'm asking for, but... If you were to build like a simple, simple version of that generator, the debris generator. Yeah. And I'm talking like, you know, just something that shows like five, ten nodes, just so people understand how these, is that something you could do? Yeah, sure. The the setup is super easy. I, I just want to put out that rocket science is also easy to rocket scientists. <laughs> Okay, but I will I will like slowly go through it. Okay, thanks. So, so thanks. first, I, I just like we can just start with like a box. I have like a shortcut for this, which I do like shift one, and I have a box. I shift to is sphere and so on. It's like just some shortcuts that I add. But you can mm-hmm. also like press tab and then B box. But I like shortcuts, so it's a okay. thing. So then I have a box. I can either like model. A brick from this, so you you saw me using the tool, and automatically these red box with arrows appeared, so I can manipulate the shape. Right. Yep. So and then actually, I build a tool called Edge Damaging, and this is also the power of Houdini: is you can build your own tools and sets, tool sets for something you want in the future. So for me, it's like automatically like damaging up the shape. Mm-hmm. So it's like you built this once and I can reuse yeah. this for the rest of the of the time. But I can also <laughs> keep it uh, just like something that's just possible. I can just I can also just like bevel the edge here. Like, oh yeah, this is a little damage of on the brick. Mm-hmm. 
then like to to simulate i probably need some more bricks and i will just spawn a sphere and i will copy two points so it's kind of in the name itself so i will copy primitives or my model here to the points of the sphere and you have basically this this already gives us some nice result kind of so looks interesting mm -hmm. um, but of course i would like to maybe do it like this and then the next step what i would do is like i want to let them fall on each other so houdini has at the top here it's called shelf tools and these these are basically tools like things that are that are have been set up for you so you can just click these things and they will be created for you instead of having to to manually construct them so i can go to rigid body so you can just find them easily by finding here rigid body and i can select this sphere uh, click on the rigid body and automatically Houdini creates this network so this is a dot network so it's for simulation i will not go in detail and if i press play now my bricks are falling and then okay. the only thing i need now is a collision of course because it's just falling into nothing and i can just say grand plane and then i would just need to position my bricks better and press play and we have the result oh i forgot something no so yeah this is like the the very simple setup mm -hmm. that was used as that's quite similar to what i used for like the debris on the, the art station yeah now how do i make those bricks better you mentioned you had a tool the edge yeah, damage tool i i had a tool for that we can just look in the tool i got this information from a video and then i tweaked it a little bit mm -hmm. So in here, I can just open my tool oh, cool. and you can see. So it's basically like a Boolean, mm -hmm. like these shapes are being booleaned on the mesh. Mm -hmm. And what I do is uh, I remesh the model. So it looks something like that. Then we smooth it out a bit, adding some correct normals on it. And then the mountain node, this is a really nice uh, node. Okay. This is basically creating a random shape based on the type noise type. Yes, um, I understand. And then we just boolean and subtract uh, intersect the shapes. Okay, so can you go to that top node then again? So we go. So basically, you're you're taking the node the the box, you move That's it off into a separate channel, and then in that in that separate channel, you kind of smooth it. You remesh it so that it's got different tessellation to it. You smooth that. And then the mountain is really kind of the key to it. The mountain pushes these things out in different areas, and then you're just literally bullying the um, the original shape back into it so that you get the hard edges. Yeah, so you get All like right. damages here. Yeah, that's beautiful. What I love about Houdini is just it's, I mean, it, I don't know how to say it. I mean, it, it's just there's there's logic to this. So like when I model in other programs, I'm like, this is just like such a waste of my of humanity. It's just, <laughs> just making us like work our butts off. 
but I'm looking at this and I'm like, that's just logic. Like you don't ever have to do that again. You now have an edge tool done. Yeah, it's like once you you figured out something once, you just save the system. And then yeah. you have it. And you can just be using it later on or yeah. That's really what I like. And it's also the power of Houdini where you can you just basically you can just group a note and then you right click and then create digital asset. And if you do this, you can every time I can that's awesome. So I just like typed in test and mm -hmm. accept it. And every time I press test, I will see this tool with this fear in it. That's ridiculous. So that's something I really like. It's just like you make something interesting, you just save it. And if you want to use it later on, then you can use it later on. Um, that's awesome. Uh, Michael's asking, why do you put the null after the input node? Oh, that's just like for personal structure. So, yeah. his, uh, Some, so his output's not going straight into two channels and it creates like weirdness. Yeah, for me, just like personal structure and it's also like easier to to branch from this. But yeah, no notes have multiple functions, but for me, they are mainly structure to like help out sorting the graphs. If I would later on expand this, I can like easily use this one or what mm -hmm. you can do is you can basically reference this so i can reference this null nodes to this one so this these do have the same the same output because they are like linked and referenced to each other mm -hmm. so if i have a super big graph here and i'm like i want to add something extra here it's like oh yeah maybe i should like keep my graph clean and just reference the beginning to here also Got it. Sort of got it, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I love how deep this program gets. But all right, that done and said, we've had you for about 50 minutes. So let's, um, guys, let's get some, keep the questions coming. Michael is asking, what's the difference between using modules versus the lake house? And um, Michael's referring to Anastasia's, of course. <laughs> yeah. Really just trying to understand, you know, What's the modules? Ver really, I think you got to look at how Anastasia does it because I bought her whole tutorial. I was mm -hmm. like, I I have to understand this, and and uh, she's building everything from like putting vertices and figuring out the normal of that vertice and then building you know these boxes. But in your words, what's the difference between modules and Lakehouse? It also it just depends on the person on what he feels is the right thing. Like Anastasia is also like I also seen some uh, parts of the tutorial. It's also quite program heavy. Yeah, it's a lot of like coding that's going on. But they definitely have advantage of of like doing everything uh, with programming. You can like really have control of the whole geometry and so on. But with modules, I feel I could easily reuse the system later on if I. Maybe suddenly I'm like, oh yeah, I have this cool idea of of, a, of an environment where you look over a city. I can just easily reuse uh, the house generator. Mm -hmm. Where where with like the Anastasia, it's like it's a lake house. It's built to be a lake house, or you can mm -hmm. of course make it to something else. But it's like it's built to 
that ar architecture. So uh, right. and that and it stays there. But in my, it's just use modulus. So you can just it, the generation depends on on your module. That makes sense. You're using it more for the larger placement of the modular kit, and then you're just swapping out the modular kit. Yeah. Oh, I can also mention that Houdini has now a built-in house generator. I don't oh, know. Of course. Okay, I don't know where it is, but they have it. <laughs> is it under it. the uh, game dev? Yeah, game it was in the tool game, set. In game development tools, they had like this house generator, or maybe yeah. it's called something else. Building right, generator? Right. Oh yeah, it's building generator. Yeah, I don't know exactly how it works. I still have to like look it up, but it's like. They actually have a similar system like me where you decide the modules. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, you, you model the modules. What you can do is like you can still use your Blender or Maya workflow and model them yeah. in, in there and then import them in Houdini. And Houdini yeah. just generates the building. But yeah, that's something if you look into house generation, you can also get this house generator. Can it you might be quite yeah, complex. <laughs> Oh yeah. my god! It's a little bit more complex than mine. <laughs> Yikes! But it it can do a little bit more. Uh, it's pretty cool, but yeah, I haven't I haven't figured it out fully yet. I didn't have the time. Okay. Yeah. I can also show you my tool working in Game Engine if you would like that. I'd love it. Normally it should work. <laughs> okay, the scene is a bit dark, but. So if you, you you can install the plugin, you need a license for this, of course. Uh, but like with any license, it's pretty cheap compared to others. Is this for indie, or does the apprentice do this, or do you have to do indie? You you have to get the indie version, which okay. is like around two thirty something. Yeah, I've got that one. So so you just like install the plugin. I don't know where it is, but just but for those who it. are for those who are interested in modeling, you can oh. just use apprentice and export for free. I think. Yeah, there it's possible to kind of export uh, in OPJ. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you want to test out Houdini, the free version is definitely a great start, but it has its limitation, of course. Uh, and here I can normally, if everything goes right, I think it has to warm up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, here we go. Okay, here we go. So I can here I'm just changing the the seeds of the shapes. Nice. And I can get like random buildings. And as you can see, it's quite fast. It's not super slow. And I can make my changes to what I want. Mm -hmm. So if I scroll down, you can also see that here are the, like the slots to put in my models. Mm -hmm. I can just drag and drop them in here. But I have not assigned all the models yet. It's just for this purpose, I just placed a few, but yeah, you can like see like, oh yeah, a small trash bin. Oh, nice. Uh, so on. Some yeah, set dressing. Yeah, because I also wanted to have automatically some wow. props around the house. Oh, God. Wow, that's, yeah. yeah. You are welcome. <laughs> okay good all right my friend this is really amazing so we've talked a little bit about i mean this is almost like a houdini sales 
webinar, which <laughs> which isn't intentional, but I I'm kind of a geek for these things. I think you know, like it's so important to me that my students have that that extra leg up and so it would be a disservice if i was just like yeah just go master polygonal modeling in 3d studio max and do the exact same thing people have been doing for 15 years that's going to help it's going to i mean it's important but outside of houdini and um and designer are there any other software tools that you think are important for this whole notion of proceduralism that people need to get clear on hmm it also depends a bit if you're like a programmer, then it's also, mm -hmm. of course, interesting to, to get these uh, machine learning research and so on. But yeah. if you're just an, an artist, then I would just mainly stick to like exploring some procedural aspects like Designer or Houdini. You can just try to look what it can do for you. Like, like oh yeah, I have this, I scoped this high poly rock and I want my low poly version and I want unwraps fast. Oh yeah, I can just use Houdini, poly reduce it and auto unwrap it in Houdini and I'm done. That sounds nice. Actually, one of my students did that for her UVs and, I, and it was the first time I had seen UVs laid out in Houdini and, uh, and they were damn good UVs, you know? Mm -hmm. Pretty crazy. I was like, holy crap. And then I looked at the nodal network and it was like, I don't know, maybe 12, 12 nodes. It wasn't very complicated. But she's married to a Houdini guy, so <laughs> that helps. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> yes, probably. All right, my friend, well, this is great. So any words to people who are looking to study proceduralism? Anything that you that you think is important for them to know before we send them off and on their way to go experience some Houdini? and to meet their future uh, mother, I guess, if we can reference the Netflix show. I would definitely say, like, give it a try. First of all, like, try to find out if, if the software is something for you. Because, mm -hmm. of course, Houdini is not for everyone. Like, Substance Designer is not for everyone, or Sculpting is not for everyone. So, but definitely give it a try. Explore in what type of way it can be interesting for your workflow. And if you're more specifically interested in like developing tools, then that's like super interesting. And that's definitely something that could be interesting for your portfolio in the future and so on, because that's definitely something that's becoming bigger and bigger to have these procedural systems. You can definitely like look up some, I think on the site, the website of side effects, they have a page where they collect all the tutorials. So you can definitely like scroll through it. You can like filter on beginner level. You can also filter on more game focused and so on. Because Houdini is also used in film. So try to find the right tutorial for you. And yeah, come up with awesome. your own tools and create awesome tools. Awesome. All right, guys, any last minute questions? Get them out real quick. And then um, we will go from there. And I think Raphael has a really good question because I've been wondering it myself. Computer system specs for us to be running specifically Houdini because I, I think it has a particular way it works with the GPU, but I might be wrong. Honestly, I don't know too much about it. Mm -hmm. But the computer I'm having right here is my laptop that I use on the train, what? and <laughs> it's not, this laptop is like been since I was a student, so it's like about four years that I'm having this laptop. 
All right, well, what I hear there is no excuses, guys. Just start making stuff. Yes. I have like a super low end graphics card, and yeah, I can barely run Unreal actually on this computer. Uh, <laughs> so there's not that much excuse of trying out Houdini. <laughs> okay, like cool. if, for if you start to work with like super high simulations and millions of polys, yeah, it might be noticeable that <laughs> your computer has difficulties. All right, great. Oh, um, Michael. Michael's saying, um, do you see proceduralism come in for characters? And he's saying, except for hair. I mean, hair is the obvious. I've been working Houdini hair, and it's pretty cool. But um, do you see it coming in for characters in any other way? I definitely think it will be like helpful for maybe some more uh, retopologizing, retopping, and unwrapping. That would be better, faster, maybe even automated for you in the, in the far future. I hope so. <laughs> cool. All right, guys. We were kind of heavy on Houdini. Have we sold you? Are you guys ready to go get your free version? <laughs> get it now. <laughs> and then post. <laughs> go get it now. And then post in the community your first project. Just put it in the art discussion, I think, would be really cool. Or the, or the critique. But that was my goal today, was to introduce you guys to this. And... Like, for example, I'm any programming class, I take, I try to get my daughter into it because I want my daughter to meet our future overlords before me so that she can put in a nice word for me. And Houdini, I think, is going to be this just really cool way, you know, that's tongue in cheek, but Houdini is going to be a cool way for you guys and myself to just get in and start to understand machine learning from an artist perspective and, and AI before it becomes just a programmer kind of deal. I mean, it, it's just a programmer deal right now, but Houdini is this great link for the artist, I think. So. All right, guys, no other questions. I think you're in good shape. Uh, Ryan, I'm actually thinking about the procedural armor and elements. Like, I can imagine placement. It's a bit of a beast, though. I don't think it's going to be, that's even remotely as easy as buildings. Not that that's easy, but that'd be cool. All right, Simon, man, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to chatting with you more. And uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's exciting. You know, this is for me. I'm geeking out on this stuff. I'm getting into it. I'm like, this is there's so much power. And that corridor example you showed me, that's just like that. I agree with Sari. That's some black magic stuff there, man. Congrats. Yeah, that could be def definitely the a good feed, the GDC video, a good video to start. Where it's like a little bit of information about everything. Yeah, totally. So starting the GDC, the sci-fi guys. All right, my friend, Simon, take care of yourself. Folks, I will see you in the community and uh, have an awesome time. And yeah, Matthew, this is recorded, so it'll be posted in the guild. All right, take care. Thanks again, Simon. Thank you. All right, ciao. All right, so I want to thank you so much for being here and taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to ask a couple of things from you. Number one, make sure you leave a comment or you rate this on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever that you're listening to this. It really makes a big difference in helping us get the word out and to help people understand what we do. The other thing is I want to make sure that you know where to find us. Head over to www.vertexschool.com to learn about all the programs that we have for creatives. Our job at Vertex School is to teach you new skills in creative tech and help you get a job that matters to you. We lock in on the specific skills and triggers that people are looking for in the industry and what you need to do to prove that you can do this job. We're taking applications right now, so make sure that you head over to www.vertexschool.com and apply today. All right, again, thank you so much for being here. Have an amazing day.